verse 5 here in Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to show you something. People often miss it because as you journey through this little piece that we've been in here in chapter 6, you're going to actually see there's there's no break there. It isn't like he stops talking about wives and husbands, and then husbands again, because we're not too bright, and then on to parenting and children, he then simply moves to the next place. And here's why. Your, your life really can be broken down, in essence, in time, in three compartments. You spend one-third of your time basically at home. You spend one-third of your time with your eyeballs closed, and you spend one-third of your time in what we call the workplace. And so that's really how most of your time is spent. And so obviously the Lord working in your life while you're sleeping through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Lord is supposed to be working in your life, to your life, through your life, and out of your life at, in, your ha- in your home, in your family time. And now we come to this next place, the one other third of your life that you spend awake is spent generally earning a living. And so it makes absolute sense, moving on, uh, that these words would be here. And so we move now from verse 5, and we'll look down to verse 9. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. And I want to stop everyone right here, and and I want to let you know I'm going to speak to the issue, because this passage was used as justification for one of the most evil and heinous and despicable times in our nation's history and, and that of slavery. These words were taking, taken out of context, jerked out of scripture, and they were used to subjugate people, wonderful, God-fearing people under the, under the unrighteous, godless, vile, disgusting, despicable act of slavery. That is not what this passage teaches. And I want to make it really clear, it is not what this passage teaches. And anyone who thinks that that is, if you're here today, listen up, because I'm going to square away your theology. Because the words here are very specific, and they're used in such a way that we can understand them. So please bear with me while I get that explanation out to you, please. Who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing doing service as unto the Lord and not to men. Whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters... Do the same things to them, giving up threatening for knowing that your master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And so as we look at this passage, let me first address these words that are used here. Translated into English, they are words that frankly uh, are appalling to us. Many uh, in this room this morning, when they even hear those words, there is something that happens in the root of your soul. And I apologize to you for, the, for those words hurting the way they do, because they do, and I want to acknowledge that. But as you look at these, they're very specific to that day and time, and I think it's so important, as we always should, take things in context. This was written during the time of Roman rule, and in the Roman world, there was the aristocratic class, 
and there was those who were slaves, and pretty much nothing else existed. This was a day and time when there was no Burger King, no Derwiner Schnitzel, no Target. You, you couldn't go s- sell papers. There was nothing, no way for you to earn a living. And so the word used here for slave, bondservant, is the Greek word doulos or douloi, plural. And it simply means one who is under the service of another voluntarily. And the reason that's important is because the equivalence in our day and time was never intended to be the Roman vision of slavery, to where someone was property of someone else, It was simply saying that if you didn't have the ability to meet your own family's needs, the only other option at that time was you would indenture yourself to someone else. That person was then obligated to take care of you, feed you, and your family. And when it comes to our modern world, it's very easy to see that this is a direct equivalence with employment. It's not intended to be slavery. It's intended to be Your needs need to be met now because all we have, many of us, especially in the city, we have time. Amen? We got lots of time. There's no place to go. We, you know, we can go to rest and do whatever, but we have time. And that time equates, along with your talent, to being something that is you can take into the workplace. And you say, look, I can do this skill, I have this gift, I have this talent. And so you make provision in exactly the same way that they did then. Look, I don't have any ability to grow wheat. I have no ability to have corn. I can't keep livestock. I do not have any of these things. So what I will do is I will give you my time. What we now get is a little piece of paper or a receipt that says you made X number of dollars. So in that sense, this is speaking of our life in the workforce. And so please understand that going forward. And I want you to look how this is now addressed in Scripture. Because it is very, very clear. There's no venture capital, entry-level employment, no vocational programs. There was no social safety net. There was nothing. Your option was, you better be born into an aristocratic family, or you ended up, in essence, indebted to someone else. And now... We simply go to work for bonds or, or, you know, we work for the county or for the city. We become teachers, doctors, lawyers. We have skills and talents whereby we then sell our time to an organization or to a person. And then that person comes alongside and says, here, here's a paycheck. Now take care of your family. It's very clear. What can we learn from this passage? You see, because the context is being light. Isn't it? Isn't that how this all started? And we're light as husbands, and we're light as wives, and we're light as children, we're light as parents. We live it here in this one-third of our life, and now we're going to take this out, this concept, this thought, and we're going to move it out now into the world. Because there's one place where each of you gets to be in ministry, and that's where you work. You're out in the workplace. And people are watching you. And when you say, well, I go to Calvary Chapel South Bay and I'm a Christian, I believe that the Bible is true, the first thing they're going to do is watch and see what you do with your time when you're in the workplace. Are you really being like Jesus? Are you the very best employee? So it begins this way. 
How do we do this? First, by being obedient. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. And the flesh here is really the system of this world. The things that we do in a physical sense. And so it's saying, look, if you're going to now be, in essence, in this person's employer, you're going to be underneath them, even at the time as a Roman slave. Notice Jesus didn't say, well, you all just need to quit. Stop being slaves because it would have resulted in their death. There was no way for them to earn a living. It makes perfect sense that the Lord would say, look, you still have these obligations because if we simply tear the whole system apart, then it's going to come back on you. You're going to be hated. You may well be killed. And in fact, the slave revolt in the Roman world under Spartacus caused that very thing to happen. And so the Christians are now being slaughtered because they're all saying, well, I'm not working for a Roman. Look, every one of you in here, if you're in the world, you work for a Roman. That's the system. You can look at it that way. The system's the world, and it's run chiefly by the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil has his fingers in a lot of the details of life. Amen? Now, having said that, there's a lot of wonderful godly employers. Praise the Lord for them. But most of you do not specifically work for a Christian organization. Most of you go and you give your time, your talent... To somebody, they then give you some treasure. That's the way it works. So he says, be obedient. We, we could be under an iron grip, but we're not under an iron grip because what we've said is, look, I want to give my time to you. And so, family of God, we need to be the absolute best examples of employees that there ever have been on this earth. So when we go to work, we should be the exemplary employees. When we go to work, we should not only be there on time, we should be there ready to perform the task that God's given us. We should walk into the office, and we should be the one making the coffee and taking it to somebody else. We should be the example of what the love of God does in someone's life so that when we go into the world, everybody looks, man, if that's what happens to you, I want to be whatever you are. We forget that we have the ability to preach Christ even in the workplace. People will tell me all the time, well, you know, my, my employer doesn't like me to talk about Jesus. Let me, let me share something with you. He can't stop you from acting like Jesus. Amen? He can't stop you from praying. He, he cannot stop you from having a witness in this world of what Christ has done in you in grace. It's not possible. He can't do it. She can't do it. So be it. Be that light. Because people are watching you. When you say you're a Christian, you immediately go on the front burner. People are looking, oh yeah, well you know. They go to that church. They're churchy people. And so they sit there like this watching to see if you're Instagramming your friends, watching to see if you're looking at stuff on the internet, on the computer that you shouldn't be looking at, watching to see if you actually do really pray over your meal when you're sitting with a bunch of heathens. You want to freak people out? Do that. Lord, thank you for these people who are here don't know you, and God, as I'm eating this meal, would they be convicted by my... No, don't do that. I've had people actually do those guys. Then they wonder why they get beat up. <laughs> but yeah, you want to be Christ while you're at work. People are watching you. 
They're looking at your life. You need to be cheerful. You need to be joyful. And, and look, it's not easy. I'm not trying to say that, you know, the moment you give your life to Jesus, a little, you know, kind of a halo is going to come over your head and wherever you go, you know, the, the, the problems will part, so to speak. No, you're still going to have the same things that everybody else has, but you approach them from a different way because you have a different power source in your life. You're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, so go out in the workplace and live that way. You put up with things other people wouldn't put up with. You you are uh, able to endure, for there is no thing, no temptations given to you, but that which is common to man, and in it there's a way of escape. So if you're in a place to where you're just there's no way to reconcile all those things, then you need to pray for a new job. Just ask God, look, Lord, I'm trying to be Christ here, and, and it's it's just not going. Just pray. Pray that everybody gets saved. Wouldn't that solve the problem? Amen? You're praying for those people. We're going to cover that tonight, by the way. You're supposed to love your enemies. So that person at work that treats you like dirt, you want to freak them out? Love on them. Dead serious as a heart attack. You love on them. You watch what happens. They'll think you are the weirdest person on the earth. You just be nice to them. It, it will do exactly what Scripture says. In doing so, it will provide them those coals on their head. Look, I'm not going to treat you the way you treat me because I'm a child of God. You see, that's what Joseph did in Potiphar's house, wasn't it? Look what it says next. With fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ. That's how we're to act. That's to be subservient. and It means to come underneath and to serve. We don't like that. Everybody wants to be above everyone else. Our goal in our Western world is to see how high you can climb. And the Lord really says to us, be happy where you're at and serve people wherever that is. Love on them. That's what Jesus did. Mark's gospel is clear on that there in the 45th verse. Jesus came to be a servant. That's what he did. We're supposed to be like that in the world. And all of a sudden, you know, people, well, you know, they're taking advantage of me. Let me give you a little clue. The world took advantage of Jesus. The world's going to take advantage of you. That's going to happen. That's a truth. It's a reality in our world. But we have overcome the world. Amen? Know what Scripture says? And so we live our lives differently. And we can serve with joy. We're not supposed to go in and be indifferent. We're not supposed to go in and feign incompetence. We're not supposed to go in, well, you know, I'll do as little as I possibly can. We are supposed to be the absolute very best employees. I want to share something. This may shock you. I was in the business world before ministry for a very healthy long time, more than a decade and a half. I was president of a couple of corporations. I have had in my lifetime, both out of ministry and in ministry, thousands, yes, thousands of employees that have worked for me. And so in that vein, let me tell you something. The very worst employees I have ever had have all been Christians. <laughs> Dead serious. The very worst employees I've ever had have all been Christians. That is a travesty. I have had to evict Christians from housing that was given to them free because they knew the law. 
I've had people tell me, well, you know, I'm not coming in today because, you know, God told me to stay home. I told them, God told you to go get a paycheck somewhere else. (laughs) Try feeding your family with your God thing. No, you try and be kind to them. But the bottom line is, as Christians, we're supposed to be an example of Christ. Amen? Was there anything that Jesus wouldn't do for anybody, anywhere, anytime, anyplace? The answer is that no. He went to Calvary's cross. That's what put him on the cross. He said, I'll hold nothing back. You, you may get treatment that you don't deserve, but you give them treatment they don't deserve. And you watch what happens. That's why Jesus said, love those who hate you. So very many Christians have the wrong impression uh, of exactly these, these principles. Another way for us to shine is to be diligent. Please, in Jesus' name, you, you don't get the first snow flu, okay? You, you should be the one that sets the example, because everybody knows what it is. You've been bragging about your antics on the slopes. Everybody knows you're a skier. You know you're a snowboarder. And, and then... The first time it snows in Big Bear, you call in sick. You are not fooling anyone. They all know where you are, no matter how, oh, I'm really sick. Hey, could you keep it down? Everybody knows what's going on. They're going, that's what a Christian does? We need to be absolute examples of diligence in the workplace. And that means all those things Everything from the pens to the paper to the time. You're being paid uh, for your time. can't believe how many Christians cheat on their expense reports. They, they lie about, clo- they have other people clock in and out for them. I've had so many of those types of things in my ministry experience, it just like boggles my mind. Like seriously? They weren't even here and you clocked them in and out? I wonder how Jesus thinks about that. Family, we live our lives on a higher plane. We live our lives on a higher plane. We should be better than that. And here's the reason why. Every last person in here is in ministry. Did you know that? Every one of you are here and you profess Christ as Savior and Lord, you are in ministry. Because you now have taken the light in. You've transmitted that light in some way, shape, or form into your own sphere of influence, your family, and now you take that light back out in the world. That light is the gospel light. It's the light that Jesus Christ came into this world. He lived a sinless life. He died on Calvary's cross. He was buried in the grave. He was raised three days later. And because of that, you have forgiveness of sin. The the penalty of, of your sin, which would have kept you from heaven, has been esponged by his work. And you now take that message through your life wherever you go. You're in ministry. Not just those of us who have a calling on our lives to be pastors or teachers or children's ministers or worship leaders. We're all in ministry. And the chief place that you minister, apart from your home, is in the workplace. People are looking at you. They're saying, I want to know what it is to be a Christian. There's three ways that we generally will will see this service implemented. Notice them. You see, I can simply be disciplined. I happen to be 
a pretty seriously disciplined person. It's just my makeup, it's my chemistry, God made me that way. I have a spreadsheet for when I'm supposed to have my coffee in the morning. It's just it's weird, I know. I'm disciplined. There are those of us in here who are just disciplined people. You know, we respond to every email. People text me, you know, hello, and I'm, I'm like writing some kind of sonnet back to them. I'm just disciplined. That's the way I am. You see, I can simply be disciplined, and all discipline really shows is that I'm compelled. There's something within me that compels me to, to act that way. I can also then have a sense of duty, and this is more attached to my emotions. I feel that I should do this because maybe it's right. People join all kinds of organizations for this reason. People go off and serve in the Peace Corps. You know, they join, you know, Americans who want to save every cat in the world. They, all that stuff. People do those kind of things. And they do that because there is a sense of, of, of that duty. It's the right thing to do. It's a cause, if you will. That's not a bad reason to serve, but there's a far better reason to serve, and it's the third one. And that's devotion. It says, out of my heart, I want to do this. And here's how it works. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so the natural response of I want to is, Lord, what can I do for what you've done for me? That's why James said it this way. Let me show you my faith by my works. Let me go put it into practice so that when someone sees you, meets you, talk to you, when they get that little message from heaven because of your life, you have actually devotedly showed them what it means to be a Christian. Devotedly showed them how to serve and why you serve as evidence because your heart has been changed, it's been captured by the Lord Jesus. There's a simple plan in all of this. And I want to show you these things just briefly. Look, notice what it says there in verse 8. Knowing that whatsoever good thing a man does, the same he shall receive from the Lord, whether he's bond or free. It doesn't matter what position you have. It doesn't matter whether you're looking for recognition or reward or promotion, whatever it is. There's exactly one payday in the life of the believer, and it's when you get there, not here. Amen? That's what it is. I'm not working just simply for a paycheck. I'm working for my heavenly reward. And that doesn't mean I'm working my way to heaven. That means that when I get there, I want to be able to hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Not, whew, you made it. (laughs) Really close, Jeff. You know, it was like a week ago, wasn't quite sure. It's supposed to be well done, a life well lived. We use that phrase. I want to have a life well lived. All these bucket list things. You know, I want to go to Angkor Wat in in Thailand. I want to see this, you know, we, we have all kinds of things. How about we just focus on being pleasing to the Lord Jesus in everything? He might actually send you to Angkor. He might send you on an elephant ride so that you can talk to that person who's your guide. Who knows? but be pleasing to the Lord Jesus because everything, whatever good thing a man does, the Lord says, look, at that judgment seat, that Bema seat, when you stand before God, he's going to say to you, here, have a crown. Your reward's not here, family. It's not. Anything that you have here can be taken from you in a moment, in a flash. Whether that's your health or your your possessions or your, your cars, whatever it is, it could be gone tomorrow. It could be gone in mass for all of us. We live in a very dangerous world. 
And I don't say that to scare. I say that to make you aware. It could all be gone tomorrow. Our economy is on the verge of collapse. It could be gone tomorrow. I don't know about any of you, but probably none of us have all of our financial resources in our mattress. Amen? So you actually trust electronic banking. How about trusting the Lord? Do we trust the Lord? And so we see this picture now as we wrap this up of mutual responsibility. You see, if those who had used this passage wrongly had simply read on a little further in context, masters do the same things. Masters do the same things. You take care of your employees. They're taking care of you. You see, we wouldn't have needed labor unions. We, we wouldn't have ever, I don't think if the world had known the Lord Jesus, we certainly wouldn't have been following Friedrich Engels and Karl Marx around down the socialist communist road. There had been no need for the book Das Kapital. There would have been no need for the Communist Manifesto if people had simply said, look, let me live my life in such a way that light comes out wherever I am. You, you see, they believed, when, when those books were written, they were written on this premise. Industrialized Europe had begun to, to spread across the globe. And during that time, people lived in abject poverty while others got wealthy. And so their thought was, we'll just put all this into a pool and we'll give everybody the same amount. You know why that doesn't work? And it will never work? Because it does not take into account the heart is wicked and is deceitful. Who can know it? You see, the assumption there is everybody's good. Your Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your Bible says, in me, Paul said, the Apostle Paul, in me dwells no good thing. Even the works that he did, he said, were as filthy rags compared to the excellency of Christ Jesus. And so we have to live out that light because the light's the answer. Christ is the answer. It's, we we want to work on labor relations. We want to work on fairness and employment practices. All those things are important and they're, they're a day-to-day issue. But the real issue is men need Jesus Christ. Women need Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the issue. You see, all these things that have been done to try and square these things away apart from Christ have never worked. There will be no utopia until the Prince of Peace comes. Amen? That's how it's all going to get fixed. When Jesus puts his feet on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two and that river runs forth, problem solved. Until that day, you all are the best hope for this world. Because you take the light of the Lord out into this world, you have what the world needs. And I want to just encourage you, go be light. Go show people what it means to follow hard after Christ. What it means to live a life of sacrifice for your spouse, for your children, and in the workplace. Go show people what it means to say, look, whatever I have, if I can bless you, I want to do that. Here, here's, look, here's my cloak if you need it. Can you imagine how many problems we could solve if we simply lived our lives with full, reckless abandon for Jesus? I would say to you we could solve all of them. Because people would get saved, 
we'd pass along that light. Problem solved. Let's make that our goal. Let's make that our aim. Let's make that our, our mission. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we need your help to carry these things out, Lord. It's just a simple truth that we're, our flesh is weak. Spirit's willing. Pray that you would help us. Lord, to be light as husbands and wives and as parents and children and grandparents. Lord, we ask that you would use us in our, in our workplace environment. Lord, in our jobs to preach Christ. Lord, with the very substance of our lives, of our living. Lord, we hang on lightly and loosely to the things of this world, knowing that they're actually yours, and you want to use them to bring people into a right relationship with you. And so, God, as your people, we just say, help us, Lord, to live these principles. Use us wherever we are, that the world might know that Jesus saves. It's in his precious name we pray these things, and God's people all said, Amen. Amen.